Welcome to episode 74 of the Fertility Podcast. And this podcast is going out ahead of the 25th of March, 2017. And I'm giving you that date because that's what this episode is all about. On that day, Fertility Network are asking you to kind of come together and support their Right to Try campaign. If you have found that you need to have fertility treatment and you're based in the UK, you might be aware of the term the postcode lottery, which I've talked about on this podcast before. Now to explain briefly, because you're going to hear from two people who are much more involved in this campaign than me. What's happening around the UK is different local councils are cutting the funding that they are putting towards fertility treatment being available on the NHS. So depending on where you live, depends on what access you have. Doesn't sound right, does it? Especially as there's been a whole host of research from NICE saying that their guidelines are couples needing fertility treatment should have access to three rounds of NHS funded IVF treatments. Now, I'm someone who is eligible for NHS funded treatment and the three rounds. We were fortunate in that it worked on our first round, but I know firsthand that knowing we had three attempts relieved a whole load of pressure. And Fertility Network have released research highlighting the mental health issues associated with infertility. Now this is a really serious issue and what's happening is this incredible campaign to get a whole load of us to join forces and do what we can from lobbying MPs to doing a one massive tweet and Facebook message at three o'clock on the 25th of March 2017. So Anya is going to explain some more. She works for Fertility Network UK. Then we're going to hear from a man called Richard Clottier who has his own infertility journey to share and is really keen to put a spotlight on male infertility issues having experienced the reluctance from men to talk about it and he's actually involved in the easy bit documentary which i've featured on a previous podcast and i will put the link for that in my show notes so have a listen and do get involved i'll tell you exactly how at the end of the show here's anya Once again, I'm going to welcome Anya Sizer from Fertility Network UK. You might have seen on Twitter, Anya tweeting uh, about this thunderclap campaign that Fertility Network are running to encourage you to make some noise around the 25th of March. Now, I'm going to hand over to Anya to explain exactly what and why and how you can get involved. How are you, my lovely? I'm really well, thank you for having me back on. No, it's a pleasure. So just explain, because I've been tweeting in response and I've signed up and I've set up some tweets to go for the 25th. It's all so clever. <laughs> I know. It's brilliant. It's beyond me. It's beyond me, honestly. This is a step in technology too far for me, but um, I'm just about holding my own. So explain what we what we want to happen on the 25th of March. So on the 25th, um, it will be a we are calling for a day of action um, and there are different ways that you can get involved um, but the day of action is basically there to make some noise as you said um, about um, IVF provision throughout the UK um, but specifically um, looking at the unfair provision in England and Ireland and Wales. Um, Scotland seems to have um, done its own thing and and seems to be leading the way with fair IVF provision but um, the rest of us seem to be lagging behind and we have the situation that it's a real um, postcode lottery at the moment Um, so what we're asking people to do is to write to their MPs um, to get on uh, on social media and um, tweet about or, or 
posts on Facebook and make some noise about um, the injustice of IVF provision. And then, as you said, to get involved with this thunderclap, which is very simple, actually. All you need to do is sign up to it. And then at three o'clock, it sends out a tweet from your account. So it's not that you have to remember to do anything at a certain time of the day, but actually it's a mass tweet that is sent out throughout Twitter to anyone that is signed up to it. And basically, again, asking people to look at IVF provision throughout the UK. So it's very simple to do. And amazingly, within 48 hours of launching the Thunderclap, we actually beat our target of 100% of people that we wanted to reach. So we're now at 150% of targets and getting more people by the day. I think it's going to hopefully create a real buzz and get people talking, which is the aim of the campaign. Brilliant. Well, we'll do what we can on the podcast. I'll share the links on Twitter and I'll put it on the show notes because it just seems that there's constantly more CCGs that are making these cuts. And just today, I mean, we're talking um, on the 22nd of February and I've just seen an article about Nottingham, women over the age of 34 no longer being eligible for NHS treatment so the CCG there have part cut some of the funding it seems. Yes and it's so arbitrary that's the problem it seems that people are making up their own rules the CCGs are often trying to work out the best way to deal with the budget cuts and IVF often gets seen I think as a soft target really as an easy target so the way that this is often happening is people are making up their own individual rules for who can and can't access IVF treatment when actually there's some really good clear guidelines by NICE about who should and shouldn't be eligible to receive treatment they've been investigated by many many people they've been shown to be clinically effective as well as the best financial solution and so for CCGs to be coming up with their own rules just seems really a waste of time when actually there's some really good guidelines out there and indeed recently Nicola Blackwood the Undersecretary for Health said that her wish is that all CCGs are just going by the nice guidelines rather than implementing their own ones based on more arbitrary reasons. So we're hoping to make some noise I mean it's already being discussed in Parliament what's it going to take to have some kind of regulation put in place towards the CCGs, do you think? Well, I fluctuate, I have to say, between feeling really despairing about this when I see a headline, as you said, uh, like today, and yet there are moments of real hope in it. I think there's quite a bit of work behind the scenes, actually, at the moment with people trying to get this pushed through. For example, the Parliamentary Debate Day. And there's work by many different organisations to kind of get this streamlined. And the things that I also find hopeful are when people do make a noise, there have been times, actually, that the CCGs have really listened and taken on board the feedback. For example, Bedford was due to cut their IVF provision in the area. And actually, they've chosen to stay as they are because of the public response. And they cited the level of public involvement as the key reason for why they've kept IVF provision at the level that they have in their area. For me, that's really encouraging. But that's I think amazing. It's, yeah, it was, there were many of us actually on the day at the actual uh, event where they, they broke the news. And I have to say there were quite a few tears because it just felt like they'd really recognised how important this is you know this is one in six couples go through this we know all the statistics this is not just a handful of people this is very common and to suddenly put it in the hands of only those people who can afford to try 
seems incredibly unfair and it adds another burden, another layer to those people already struggling anyway. Um, so I think it's really important uh, that people and the public get involved and I think it does make a difference. Um, also at the parliamentary day, all of the MPs that spoke, all of them quoted directly from patients who had contacted them. Um, in their parliamentary speeches. And I thought, again, that was incredible that they really are listening to the public. So I am going to stay hopeful. And I think that days like the 25th are really key if people can get involved and share on social media and get involved with the thunderclap. That would be amazing. I think it really will make a difference. We're talking about the 25th of March, in case you're listening to this podcast in the future. 25th of March, 2017, just to be exact, (laughs) the wonders of the internet. All right, well, we will do our best. We will shout as loud as we can. Thank you, um, wonderful. Fingers crossed we can. I think it's so amazing to hear that CCG's like bed did listen because I also think like you sometimes I see all this stuff online and I know all the hard work that people like yourselves and Facility Fairness put in and it's just you just think why how much is it going to take and to know that actually getting involved can make a difference and all you've got to do is pick up your phone and, and, and make a few tweets yes please it really does make a difference and we've seen that recently so the more people involved the better bro all right Anya we'll speak again soon wonderful thank you thank you bye bye Next up, we're going to hear from Richard, and I will be putting Richard's details, as I said at the start, in the show notes, because I think after you hear what he spent a whole load of time doing, lobbying his CCG and the impact it had, if you're in a situation where you need some support, Richard, I'm now calling, is the IVF warrior, and you will want to speak to him. So tell me about your fertility journey. What happened? Well, I suppose, like like many people, we, we have a similar start whereby... We were trying for a baby and after a while thought there might be a problem because nothing was happening. So we went to see our GP and I don't know how much detail you want, but that started a process of a year and a half from the first point at which we saw the GP to to us actually having our first and only cycle of NHS funded IVF. I suppose along the way we received many of the sort of setbacks that people have to go through on the road to fertility treatment. And one thing that does particularly stand out for me was learning that when we we were incorrect, when we assumed that we were having three cycles of treatment or that we were entitled to three cycles of treatment. So we we found that that was wrong and then of of course lots of of panic and and sadness ensued and then lots of emotional dependency on that that single cycle of treatment um, to work. Uh, And and sadly it it didn't work, it ended with a a negative result. Um, But meanwhile we have to share a waiting room with, with people who have um, three cycles of treatment and who are getting pregnant on their second and, and third cycle. So that was our, I suppose, our, our introduction to it. But, you know, we had to, I suppose, focus on, on what we got to do. And so we, we became private patients. And it was in preparation for, for that when uh, it was just in the run up to down regulation that we learned of a, a new consultation in Bedfordshire to completely remove that last cycle of treatment. But when I say Bedfordshire, we live in Dunstable and Luton, which is a couple of miles away from where we live, they still have three cycles of treatment. And as far as I'm aware, there are no plans to, to look at cutting that. So 
originally everyone in Bedfordshire, which is served by two clinical commissioning groups, we're all entitled to three cycles of treatment. Then there was a, a consultation that we didn't even know about while we were in the system for everywhere except for Luton to reduce the treatment from three down to one. So as far as we were concerned, that pretty much happened by stealth because you'd think we'd be sensitive to that sort of thing being in the system, but we didn't hear anything about it. You know, our GP didn't tell us, nobody in the facility centre told us, and we went there for a lot of tests. And it would have been during the consultation period um, and after the outcome would have been announced that we were having tests and seeing these people. And, and none of them mentioned it to us. We didn't see any posters in there, any flyers or anything like that. Um, and so whilst learning that was, was quite, um, quite, I think, uh, an insult to people who are in the system, it did have quite a profound effect on me because I thought, well, with the experiences that we've recently, very recently had, being in the system when it was cut, and now that we're no longer in the NHS part of, of the fertility system, I can use that information to try and at least effort a reversal of this latest intention to, to totally remove treatment altogether. It had only been cut a couple of years before that. I kind of felt as if I should do something about it because you know, there can't be that many people who have the precise experiences that we've had, and therefore... I suppose, for want of a better word, were, were as well qualified to do something. It was during that thought process that that's where I um, became, I suppose, um, more amenable to talking about the situation, whereas previously I didn't really want to talk to, to, to anyone about it, especially after seeing other blokes who, who didn't really want to talk about it. So what did you do first? Well, I mean, uh, I, I was umming and ahhing for a little while um, about what to do on the basis of, well, what exactly could, could one person in Bedfordshire do uh, to effort a change in health commissioning. Um, I was talking to one of my close friends about it and, and, and he reminded me of a, a, Dalai La, a Dalai Lama quote, which was, I think, along the lines of, if you think you're too small to, to make any difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. Hmm. And, I, and I know that's a bit of a cliche, but it, it did get me thinking for, for quite a long time. And I thought, well, I'm never going to know if I don't do anything. So I've made my mind up and I've spent a lot of my spare time over the summer and autumn of last year putting together a bit of a coordinated plan of action. I, I started off writing to our local MP, Andrew Salou, and, and I asked him to raise the point with Bedfordshire Clinical Commissioning Group. Um, primarily of the health inequality that I already see going on in Bedfordshire, what with residents in Luton having access to three cycles of treatment and, and, and the rest of us just one cycle and then of course with this latest consultation to remove it altogether. Um, and after, after that, I, we, we both contacted, my wife and I, we both contacted friends and family who we knew to be sympathetic towards what we were going through and asked them to fill out the consultation questionnaire in support of retaining treatment. I then wrote to BBC Three Counties Radio and BBC Look East to alert them as to what was going on and promised that I would answer any question they, they wanted to throw my way. And they responded to me as soon as the consultation closed and they covered the whole thing from, from the announcement to the outcome. And we also took part in the BBC Radio 5 Live panel discussion over the, the, the current trend to, to decommission fertility services in England. Then after that, I went along to Bedfordshire Clinical Commissioning Group's annual general meeting and thought, well, here's an opportunity to, in an open forum to ask some pretty 
blunt but important questions during the Q&A and while I was there they talked at quite lengthy detail about improvements they'd made dealing with mental health issues and that they'd applied 12% of their budget spend in that area. So when it got to the Q&A I raised the question about mental health implications of cutting fertility services, services that currently were at that point only received half of 1% of their budget. That didn't go down particularly well. <laughs> and then um, when we attended the actual um, meeting for them to vote and announce the outcome when the consultation had closed, we were all stunned in the room to hear that there and then the decision is going to be delayed by a few months and they couldn't tell us why. So I wasn't really prepared for that, but I suppose on the positive side, it gave me an opportunity to lobby BCCG a bit more and uh, I suppose get more ideas down on paper. In the run-up to the next meeting, which was 24th of November last year, I waited for the post-consultation report and recommendation to be republished because they published it the first time, then they withdrew it when they deferred the decision. And within it, the recommendation that BCCG in effect wrote to itself was unchanged. They recommended themselves that treatment be retained. So I took various key messages from that and used them as part of a social media campaign to emphasise to them, look, you previously said you think you should retain treatment now you've deferred you won't tell us why you know keeping it all polite but to the point well here's your post consultation report that you've just republished and look the narrative in here says it would be absolutely ridiculous to remove treatment it just doesn't make sense on any level and so after that i decided to up the ante somewhat and i actually contacted each of the voting panel members um personally um, I sent them a separate email quoting some stats that came out from a recent press release from the Fertility Network charity about the mental health aspect of infertility. And in particular, I focused on the part where it said nearly half of, I think it was about 45% of people who have suffered infertility have considered suicide. And I sort of finished it off by offering to meet with them at a time and place of their convenience to, you know, all politely give them a patient's view of the effects on you of when you hear that treatment has been cut by two-thirds, you know, in our case, as a result of a consultation for which at the time we had no idea was running. And from, from my job, I already knew that the subtlety of sending an email address to an individual has a far more emotional impact than an email sent to loads of people addressed, dear all, or hi all. So I figured yeah. doing so could only have a positive influence on the outcome. I certainly thought it couldn't do any uh, any harm. So the outcome ultimately yeah sorry the outcome we we went to the last meeting just after i sent the emails and um <laughs> they made us wait until uh quite a long way into the uh into the meeting and then they they made the announcement and they, they voted unanimously to, to retain treatment for one cycle or the three so at this point they were only commissioning one cycle they previously commissioned three they'd already cut it down to one cycle and this consultation was to get rid of that one cycle together so they, they retained it which you know, I think is even though the chances of a one-off cycle of treatment um, working are pretty slim for us, that first cycle of treatment was absolutely fundamental because even though it didn't work, we didn't know anything about the process until we did it, and so we learned so much more about the down regulation drug, about all the things that are expected of us, where we had to be and when. And so we thought, well, we figure going into it a second time around, we're in a much better position. And so, and there's also the mental health side of it as well. If you know, if you're having trouble conceiving, and then you learn that your you, IVF treatment is on the NHS is no longer on the table for you, 
that has a significant impact, I think, on your on your mental health and your and your yeah. well being. And that's something that I don't think is getting much airtime from for CCGs when they are consulting over removing treatment because you think they spend so much on dealing with mental health and it's like, well, hang on a minute, you're if you remove treatment altogether, you are gonna be responsible for creating a whole new mental health demographic and how much is that going to cost is it going to cost more or or, or less than the you know the 252,000 pound budget you you're, you're looking to get rid of for IVF I think it's an amazing achievement all the hard work that you've put in and that result and as someone who had fertility treatment was living in Hertfordshire and was successful first time with NHS treatment what I want to add is that whilst you know we know that the stats aren't great for first time it can work first time and so from a mental health point of view if it is available and you can try on the NHS then you've just got to go into it with hope haven't you rather than the stress of oh I wish it was three at least you've got access thank goodness to that one round yeah um I mean I, I I I completely agree with everything you say and with this podcast one thing that I'm also trying to address is the help and assistance that's given to couples when there is a fertility issue ahead of even going into the cycle which could then mean that first cycle is more successful because it seems that there's not even especially with the men there's not even enough investigation if it's male fact or if it's unexplained and that's something I'm dealing with in later episodes but one thing that I'd like to address to you more is it sounds like you put in a heck of a lot of work for what was a, a brilliant result. But for people listening who, and I know you're really prominent on Twitter, advising people and suggesting things for people to do, what would you say to anyone listening about their CCG as the best way to, to go about what you've managed to achieve? Because it sounds like it was massively time consuming and I'm sure mentally draining. Yes, both. <laughs> I mean, it used up all of my um, summer and autumn evenings really and a lot of my weekends, but I wanted to make sure that I've got my facts right. I've got to make sure that um, whatever I was putting down on paper, I was careful to to edit out too, you know, I didn't want to have too much emotion in there because you, you've got a problem with your bank account. You don't walk into the bank and say, I want to see the effing manager because <laughs> no one will pay attention to you. Um, yeah. So I, 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 try, I put an awful lot of effort into to trying to keep my emotion out of it whilst retaining a very, very strong point. So I, I guess my, my advice to anyone who would would be looking to do something similar, lobby their own CCG. I mean, first of all, if they're running a consultation to cut or to, to stop routinely commissioning fertility services, I wouldn't want to make it easy for them. I mean, I don't envy people working at CCGs for having to make these tough decisions. But as far as I can tell, these decisions are being made to cut or remove treatment without really knowing the financial and mental health implications of doing so. Yeah. And I suppose it's on that basis that I think asking the right questions that are difficult to answer can really make those with the responsibility to make these important decisions, make really make them stop and give it the consideration that it desperately needs. You know, I've always tried to keep at the front of my mind that the people I'm dealing with here are human beings and a lot of them probably don't agree with what's happening. But I do think that that has a flip side in that they are human beings, so you can appeal to their sympathetic side. By that, I don't mean I was giving them some kind of sob story. I'm just being factual. It's like, look, in the case of the Ambedpatia Clinical Commission Group, £252,000, that's 0.1% of their budget, not a lot of money. And do you really, really think that if you cut treatment, do you think people are just going to accept that and say, okay, well, we, we, we won't try and have children there? Of course not. 
what's going to happen? They're gonna, those who can afford to will go abroad where treatment is cheaper. But the, the problem with that is that a lot of the clinics abroad are not regulated anywhere near as closely as they are in the UK. In case in point, the Human Fertilisation and, and Embryo Authority saying that 90% of their pregnancies that they have as a target should be a singleton birth. And so they're, of course, reluctant to transfer more than one embryo unless the circumstances say that they should. But as not all countries have the same as a regulation, as a result, people are more likely to implant multiple embryos abroad which is high risk. Exactly. It's high risk for the mother. And it, you know, they, I understand why they want to do it. It's to maximise the chance of a positive result. But people go abroad for treatment because it's cheaper. And so there's a financial argument there. But I do think it's also bad news. And I, I mean, the, the, the report that um, Bedfordshire Clinical Commissioning Group wrote, I thought was very good. They'd obviously done an awful lot of research. And uh, there are three numbers that I will never forget from, from reading that. Um, and that was based around the analysis they did, where they said um, the after um, birth, so post-birth costs of the NHS for a for an IVF singleton family is about three thousand pounds, a little over three thousand pounds. But if it's twins, it's nine thousand pounds, and if it's triplets, it goes up to thirty-two thousand pounds. So wow. that ma ma maternal and neonatal costs. Now you can't tell me if you suddenly remove what is in effect in Bedfordshire except for Luton, £252,000, that you're not going to lose £252,000 in dealing with the cost of people coming back with twins, people coming back with triplets, and, of course, the new mental health demographic that's just been created. And so I think a lot of this is being done with, you know, with short-term financial gains in mind. The people who do have enough money to go abroad for treatment at that point what are they going to do? They're going to go. Mm. I think it's going to be nine or ten months later and they're going to start seeing costs incurred to the NHS, which previously probably wouldn't have been there. So I suppose that's a long-winded way of saying, um, if you're going to write to the CCG, ask them these, these difficult questions because you might not feel very good asking them. But I think they're questions that need to be asked and, and they need to be answered. And the thing is, it, it does really get under my skin when I hear another CCG is going, for want of a better phrase, the consultation jugular. Because you talked earlier about the work I've been doing with, with Anya Sizer and, and others going into Parliament and, and to the debate there. Just from that, there's some research that I think it was the Fertility Network did. And I think it's pretty telling in that it says the cost range between what some CCGs pay for, for commission treatment is huge. Some of them pay £1,300 per cycle. Some pay 6000 Now, I know there's an internal NHS marketplace for, for commissioning services. But of the CCGs I've put freedom of information requests into so far, none of them actually record any um, success rates for the treatments that they provision. So they're not recording what's successful, and there's a massive variation for between £1,300 and £6,000. I think work needs to be done there before they go for the consultation jugular. And this is one of the things that was raised when we were in Parliament. And that's why I was really pleased that Nicola Blackwood committed to saying, OK, well, what we're going to do now is write to every single CCG and I'm going to uh, emphasise my expectation that three cycles of treatment are commissioned in line with NICE guidelines. And she also committed to NHS England redoubling its efforts to work towards a national tariff for, for IVF treatment. Now, I know a national tariff is going to be a mammoth of a task to, to work towards, but the fact that this is being raised in Parliament and they're not saying no they're saying 
let's try and work out how CCGs can better commission cycles of treatment because we expect them to provision three cycles of treatment. I think that is more than a step in the right direction. So Definitely. we're already seeing that some MPs are, are very amenable when it comes to, to asking for their assistance. So I, w- I would also implore them to, to write to their MPs and, and get their MPs to write to, to Nicola Blackwood, but to also write to their CCGs and say, how can you justify this? Can you show us how you're not getting good value for money? I mean, I'm quite active on Twitter, as you said, so I don't mind helping people. I have a massive database of documents that I've written um, as part of arguments that I put to various CCGs and emails that I've sent to people. So there's so much content that I have that I'd be more than happy to to repurpose for other people or even act on other people's behalf. So. Well, that's what I was going to ask because I know Fertility Network have guidelines if you are drafting letters to lobby your MP and what have you. And I was going to ask because I will put your Twitter details on the show notes for this episode. And that's really good to know because I think it can seem so daunting when if you've had failed treatment or if you found out that you're not eligible for a NHS funded treatment, the fact that you're having to deal with your route to parenthood not being straightforward then the fact that you're not even going to get any help on the NHS, to then try and get your head around, okay, I want to shout about this to my MP or what have you, I, I would imagine it just seems too much for people. So with you being that kind of guiding light with all of this, I think it's really inspirational. You should give yourself a, a blooming massive pat on the back. And I know we've got a long way to go, but it's it's amazing to know that with your dedication, you know, you got an outcome and that ultimately we need to give this issue so much more of a voice which is what I try to do with the podcast which is what you try and successfully have done with all your hard work so putting it out there and hopefully getting people to I might have increased your workload but getting people to contact you and ask for your help I think is is so vital yeah there's a massive stigma attached to infertility I totally get that because I scurried away into my own little world numerous occasions and you know bottled things up myself so I, I totally get that suppose it was that experience we had when we had the consultation when we found that treatment had been cut and we didn't even know that's what made me say right okay i'm, I'm putting the, the stigma to one side and, and doing something so I, I do totally get that um it's not for everyone and you know that's why i'm so pleased that you know people like i don't know if you're aware of gareth down who, who's created the secure forum on facebook for men it's just for men yes i have heard about gareth because he was in the hidden faces campaign too wasn't he? He was, yes, and he he's also filmed the, the second interview in easy in the easy bit. So that's why I'm really pleased that there are people like Gareth out there and and people like Tom Webb as well doing doing the documentary. You know, I've I've read an awful lot of stuff online. I've you know I very reluctantly took part in some debates that were on on Facebook to do with the debate that was in the Houses of Parliament. I mean that was just for personal reasons because I'm not really a fan of Facebook. But there are an awful lot of people on there commenting really really negatively when they are asked to to write to their MP and you know saying things like well my mp wouldn't care why bother they probably would ignore me and you know i totally get that because i was totally dismissive to the idea originally of writing to our mp based on the fact that he's an mp (laughs) and how wrong was i because um he the the amount of work he did was 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 absolutely brilliant he wrote to bccg this is andrew salu he wrote to bccg he wrote to jeremy hunt health secretary and when BCCG said, OK, well, here's our holding letter. We will come back to you at so-and-so date. He went, he chased them again when they didn't come back. And uh, and um, I asked him to come along to the, um, the, the the debate that we had in Parliament. And he did. 
and he raised some really, really great points. And uh, a lot of that has, has translated into um, into what Nicola Blackwood is doing now about, you know, smarter commissioning. And when we look at the numbers that one in six people are affected by this, most of the people that we're talking about writing to probably know somebody that has had fertility treatment anyway. So like you said earlier, they are just human. They probably have had experience of it. It's not so taboo. Everybody knows that this is a really current issue that needs to be addressed. So I'm almost like wanting to just just, just go for it if, if it's affecting you. I mean, I feel like I want to write to my MP, even though, you know, we're in a position where we've had treatment and we're in a different phase because I think we could all get involved. Yeah. No, I don't mind helping Richard, people in any way. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really good to talk to you. You too. And we'll, we'll keep th- in touch on Twitter. Will do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. So thank you to both of my guests. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash right to try, which is R-I-G-H-T-T-O-T-R-Y. I've put Anya's Twitter handle, Richard's Twitter handle, a link to the Fertility Network campaign page where you can set up that tweet that Anya mentioned. It's really easy to do and the Facebook post, so you don't even have to think about it. But we'd like you to think about it and try and get as many people as you know involved as well because we are just trying to join forces and stop this happening. It seems so unfair. Thanks again for your support on the podcast. As always, do sign up at thefertilitypodcast.com you can subscribe in iTunes Spreaker and Acast and also there's details on the show notes of how you can become a patron of this fertility podcast because if you've listened before you'll know I make this out of pure love and I'm trying to um, get more support for the podcast I hope it's helped you and I hope to help many more people and anything you can do to um, give me a little bit of support would be most welcome so do check out the show notes loads of information for you there once again they are the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash right to try take care get on the case with tweeting for the 25th of march and until the next time